If the people know anything else about me other than Waffle House is part of my personal brand and aesthetic, so is Reba McIntyre. <laughs> Uh, Fancy is the song that me and my cousin, <laughs> I shouldn't say grew up to, but that is accurate. That sounds terrible. I might have been born just plain white trash, but Fancy was my name. Oh my God, that is you. I know. <laughs> that I is know. you. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real life creeps from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm MoGab, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. Except for part one. I heard part one of this, and I'm here for part two. The next thing in my notes is join our Patreon. Do it. Let me peer pressure you into here's why you should. Because I took a minute and listened to some of our Patreon content, and mm-hmm. I can guarantee you it will be the best 5 slash 7 slash $10 you could possibly ever spend. And you know why? Why? I've got three words for you. No, I got four words for you. Do you maybe have five words? It could be a symbol. What are the words you're thinking of? <laughs> Waffle House Fast Furious. Oh, I was thinking The Fast and The Furious. That's the fifth movie, though. See? <laughs> Haven't even seen no, that one yet. The Fast and the Furious is the first movie. Oh, shoot. Which one's the one they just take out? No, we'll go down a rabbit hole again. We can't talk about the Fast and Furious franchise on every I episode. I gotta tell you, because we were talking about it, and I was like, should we put this as a mini episode? Like, are, do people care? Are they going to want to listen to us talk about this? It is the funniest 15 minutes and 50 seconds I have ever spent in my life. And I've listened to it like three times, at least at this point. And I like forgot I went to listen to it again today because I'm like, am I really going to put this out? We're launching like in real world time. We have not launched yet. <laughs> it's still a week away. And I'm like, are we really going to put this out and, and say this is bonus content? People are going to pay for this. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, <laughs> it is so great. <laughs> and if nothing else, when I heard it, I was like, I'm sure the peeps and creeps will love this. But if they don't, this is for us. Like, <laughs> this is our moment, you know? It's the best thing I've ever... It's my best work yet. <laughs> yeah, this is... this I your got Mona my Lisa? Diesel impersonations in there. <laughs> it's, it's your Mona, Mona Lisa. Lisa. Who knew? And I didn't even write it. So if you join our Patreon, join at the classic Creepers level. The fi- That's the $5 level. You will get all of the $7 content for $5 at that level. Uh, and it will be open until we have reached 100 patrons. So that's for our first 100 patrons. After that, we'll be going to regular levels 5, 7, and 10. And if you sign up right now, you get immediate access to four mini creep episodes. We'll usually put out two to three. But since this is the first month, we're giving you guys a little bit of extra. I have a housekeeping item, even though we all know I'm no longer a certified housekeeper. (laughs) Yes. You may keep the house, Moga. Thank you. We have a promo code for free shipping. Oh, this is why you're not in charge of housekeeping. That promo ended today. Today? Today when this drops. Today. Damn it. (laughs) Can we extend it one day? All right. It's extended one more day. You got one more day. Oh, my God. Give them the code, Mogab. Look what I've given the people. Look what I've given the people. She's going to put another poll up now. (laughs) Creepers 10. That's not right. (laughs)
It's just Creepers. <laughs> Wasn't it Creepers 10? That was for 10% off. Okay, Creepers for free shipping. Now everyone's going to be putting in the wrong codes. Next time I get to make the code and announce it. Deal? They're not going to put in the wrong code because I will have the code in the show notes. So check the show notes. Great. Well, it's extended for 24 hours. Thanks to me. Thanks to you. All right. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. Let's get this part two on the road. Okay, I am dying for part two. I am. I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about this. I need the peeps and creeps to know that I also got to be continued. That like, I didn't get to part two right away. Like, I have questions. I can't wait to answer some of them, as per usual. Okay. Mogab, today, I'm telling you part two of the murder of Cheryl Downs, and also the attempted murder of Christy and Danny Downs, and also she burned out a trailer for insurance fraud. I think that's everything. And the list goes on and on and on. So is that you admitting that she did shoot them? It was her. No. I admit nothing. In part one, we left off with the police going to Arizona and talking with Nick Knickerbocker, who'd had an affair with Diane. And he had some interesting things to tell police that could be a potential motive for Diane trying to kill her own children. Diane had been obsessed with Nick and she thought that they would get married and be together forever. But Nick made it very clear that he was already married and he didn't want kids. But she already had three. To clarify, I don't think he made it super clear that he was already married since he was in said affair. That is what we call mixed signals. I think he did straight up tell her, I'm not going to leave my wife. But yeah, apart from that, I don't know how. And I mean, he did say, I never want to speak to you again. I think he was fairly clear about what he wanted in this uh, extramarital affair. Mm -hmm. But I, yes, extramarital affairs Mixed messages are just, they come with the territory. They run rampant. (laughs) But Diane had a plan. She was going to build a house big enough that she could keep the kids on one side with a nanny (laughs) and live with Nick on the other side. But 
He wasn't too keen on that idea. And also, I'm still trying to figure out how she thought the $30,000 from her surrogating was going to uh, fund that yeah that fantasy. <laughs> I forgot about that price tag on that house. You're not getting a house <laughs> with multiple wings, sister, for thirty grand. all right? And a nanny. And a nanny. And a nanny. <laughs> <laughs> so police theorized that her next plan was to get rid of her kids so they would no longer be in her way. Yeah, she's got some kinks to work out on her first plan. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But this was a theory that detectives couldn't prove without the gun that was used to shoot them. If they had the gun, they could match it to the bullets found in the kids. But no gun, no matching, no Diane. But then they did find something that gave them hope that they might be able to get her. Okay. This next part, real interesting. Okay. okay. Ballistics, my favorite part of true crime. Really? No, that's a total lie. Oh. It's a little dense and a little boring. So I tried to, you know, shorten it as much as possible, but I do think that this is important. Okay. Well, I fell asleep the first time. So liven it up a little. Yeah. Okay. Should I make it a song? Ballistics experts had been going over, over the guns over. found in Diane's home and they noticed. Okay. I mean, I was following that. Why don't you just keep going? <laughs> What'd they notice? All right. Ballistics experts had been going over the guns they found in Diane's home. Remember, she had those two weapons that she had told police about. And then there was the one that she Yes, there was one she it. hadn't told them about that Steve said she had that actually matched the murder weapon. They never found that. But they noticed that the bullets at her house had these marks on them that were identical to the cartridge casings found at the crime scene where the kids were shot. Yes. There are these types of marks that are left by the firing pin of a gun. And even if the bullet hasn't been fired from the gun, as long as it's been worked through the magazine of the gun, it'll show those marks. And those marks were from a 22 caliber Ruger semi-automatic pistol, just like the one Diane had, the one that she'd failed to mention to the police. You sounded like a ballistics expert when you just rattled that off. <sighs> I worked hard on it. Question about the crime scene. Do you remember how they went out and put a roadblock up and she gave them some like description? Mm -hmm. Whatever came of that. No, I mean, nothing, I'm assuming. Yeah, they found the cartridge casings, but there wasn't blood because it was all in the car. Like the kids were all shot inside the car. Except for Diane. I'm not sure where she was when she was. Well, if shot. the casings are outside and she shot them, which I'm guessing she did, she must have gotten out of the car, stood out of the car. Mogab, Mogab, Mogab. You are forgetting. It was a bushy-haired stranger that shot the kids. Which I've never heard that term. She called him a BHS, and I love I that. know. I'd never heard that before either. I wonder if I've ever been referred to as a bushy-haired stranger when I don't straighten my hair. You know, when like, I come fresh out, you've seen it like Mufasa, got all that well, working. Well, for sure, from that time when you shot all those people and that guy went to prison for okay, it. Okay, see? Remember? No, stop. Because now people <laughs> already think, this is why I had to put a disclaimer out last time. You're the bushy-haired stranger. <laughs> You're one of them, one of the many bushy-haired strangers. <laughs> so the ballistics experts said that the tool marks on the bullets were microscopically identical, meaning that some of the cartridges found in Diane's home had at one time been worked through the murder weapon. Hmm. And that established at least a circumstantial link. Yeah, like you're at least asking some follow-up questions and digging through some drawers. Exactly. And side note, This is the segment of the podcast that is, this is what the other side is saying. <laughs> oh, I do like that theme song. <laughs> this is what the other side is saying. 
every website on the internet that tries to prove that Diane is innocent, and there are many of them. I have them linked in the show notes. I can't believe there's, like, sides. I mean, I know we're not through it yet, but I can't believe there's sides to this. Any major case, you have people that think the person is guilty, and you have people that think the person is innocent. Anyways, every website on the internet that tries to prove that Diane is innocent, they all say that the tool marks didn't actually match and that the detectives lied on the stand. And honestly, this ballistics evidence to me is so confusing and it's so weak to me. Like, it seems like they were reaching so hard because they never did find that murder weapon. I don't think it proves anything. And I don't even know if it's real. I guess I just don't know how anyone else could have shot these children. I was that bushy-haired stranger. But I mean, is that what the other side is saying? So there's a side that says mm-hmm. Diane did it, and then the other side is it was really a stranger out of nowhere with like... Yeah, just that she, her story is true, and what she said was true. There was a bushy-haired stranger... But you're in a car. Like, you were in a car. Where did the bushy-haired stranger come from? He was in the road, possibly having driven there in an icky yellow car, which is how she described it. He was in the middle of the road like he needed help, but he wanted to steal her car. She got out of the car for whatever reason. She got out of the car. Because a man needed help. As a woman that has three kids in your car, you think you're going to stop and get out and help a strange man at night in the middle of the road. Like, that's not happening. She also makes terrible decisions. I think that she has definitely some kind of personality disorder. And there have been psychological tests proving that she has some sort of personality disorder. And I think that that gets in the way of her decision making. She drove out to this random acquaintance that she had just to bring her an ad about a horse for sale. And it was a 30-minute drive away. I mean, it wasn't close to their home. Yeah, She gets all that. her three kids in the car to go bring this ad. And then she wants to build a house with a nanny and have two wings so that she can marry Nick Knickerbocker. Mm-hmm. She wants to get pregnant so bad. And her husband had a vasectomy. So she's just going to go find somebody else to get pregnant by. Okay, yeah, I'm seeing a pattern So here. to say, why would a woman... Stop for a man in the middle of the night. She got three kids. Well, why would she do anything she's ever done? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, none of it makes sense. So I don't think any of that proves that there really was this bushy haired stranger that she stopped for in the middle of the night. But is it possible? Is it like totally outside the realm of possibility? No. You know, I mean, it's possible. Right. I think she probably did it. But <laughs> yeah. Anyways, it's not long before Diane realizes she's a suspect, and she's so mad about it. A suspect? Sis, you're the suspect. Someone talk to me about the unicorn the statue. <laughs> Explain that. Yeah. Anyways, she's so mad about it, she refuses to allow police to photograph her children's wounds or for Christy to have surgery to remove bullet fragments in her shoulder. What? She was also threatening to take her kids out of the hospital and saying nobody was going to stop her. So while she was in surgery for the bullet wound in her arm, Fred Hughey went to a judge and had him sign an emergency protective order, placing Christy and Danny in the custody of the state. Great. So they could have surgery? Right. Which she found out the day after her surgery. So they're no longer in her custody. I don't know what the timeline is with this, with that doctor from the first, like that we talked about in the first part that Mm -hmm. just got emergency guardianship. Oh, this is a separate guy. This is the... Yes. This is the DA that is signing an emergency protective order. So like kind of a restraining order against Mm -hmm. Diane. And now Christy and Danny are wards of the state. 
But they're both still in the hospital, like where they will be for quite a while recovering from this attack. Diane also finds out she's been scheduled for a polygraph and that she's going to have to testify in front of a grand jury. And this is all within two weeks of the shooting. Diane's father gets a lawyer for her named Jim Jagger, who delays her grand jury testimony. And he announces to police that she will not take a polygraph that's been organized by the prosecution. Instead, the lawyer has Diane take a private polygraph, which she fails, which, you know, doesn't mean anything, but also mm, not great. I don't know. I don't want to extend that grace to her. Like, I'll, I'll give that to the some people that I like <laughs> that felt like, oh, you shouldn't even use those. Those are inadmissible. And then here comes Diane. I'm like, mm hmm. That's right. She failed. Yeah. Like, that's. I've got I got some issues on that I need to work out personally. You can't, yeah, you can't do that. Equal protection under the law. It's an important right. <laughs> Whoops. But harder in practice. Yes, yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's how I feel about like my stance on the death penalty. Like I'm so against it. But like Until. you give me someone like <laughs> the dog. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mogab sends me a picture of the funeral of a canine. Okay, well, wait, tell the people why, because I would have never seen this, but thanks to this podcast, my Discover feed on Instagram is absolutely just annihilated. I'll nev- it'll never recover. <laughs> and because we talked about some city, and here's this canine that was shot in the line of duty defending his handlers and the rest of the police force. And because I had to see it, so did Kristen. So she sends me this. I'm devastated, obviously, as soon as I see it. We're both like crying to each other via text. I text her and I'm like, who is this monster? And when is he getting the death penalty? <laughs> as someone who is very much against it, you are. <laughs> yes. So, you know, sometimes your emotions get the mm-hmm. best of you. But yeah, polygraphs suck in general. Yeah. Diane's lawyer also advises hospital staff that they are not to allow police access to Diane or her kids. But police are like, nah. And they put guards outside the room so that Diane can't have access to the kids alone. Nah, yeah. Diane requests and gets a hearing to question the state's rights to remove her children. That hearing was on June 6th, 1983. And she lost the hearing, but the media loved her. She was their new darling. They portrayed her as this beautiful, fragile woman, and the camera loved her. Really? Yes. This gave Diane a new tactic to use in dealing with everything. She stopped cooperating with police completely, and if she had anything to say, she'd call the media first. Now detectives are really in the thick of it, trying to build their case against Diane. They find a witness who saw Diane driving her car down Old Mohawk Road the night of the shooting. Remember, that's the road that supposedly this crime happened on. They saw her driving just before 10 o'clock. So this would have been after the shooting. The witness said that Diane was going five to seven miles an hour. So you remember how one of our questions, one of the holes in the theory of if Diane did it was, well, if she did it, why would she take them to the hospital after? Well, She took her dang sweet time going to the hospital. She was driving five to seven miles an hour. This witness said he was stuck behind the car for several minutes because they were on a two-lane road that was too curvy at that moment for him to pass. But as soon as a straight stretch came, he pulled ahead. He didn't really think anything of it. He thought maybe this person is lost or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And just went off on his merry way. Diane's story was that she was driving so fast, she nearly skidded off the road. 
Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, five to seven miles an hour. Like, mm-hmm. I'm driving faster than that to Starbucks, you know? Yeah. How did he know that was Diane, like, later? How did he realize? He was able to describe the car accurately. But, like, how did police find this guy? They probably put out a statement, like, if you, you know, mm. saw that this is the crime, this is what happened, if you saw anything, yeah, contact police, and he contacted them. Now, her supporters say this is totally false, like, you know, and they have sure. several things to show that it's false. But I kind of have a couple things to show that it's true. I went and looked it up on Google Maps. I did my own investigation. All right. Call me Detective Kristen. Oh, sure. Enough. I looked it up on Google Maps. So this is a very scientific, very accurate investigation that I performed. Totally admissible in a court of law. I would prefer if you did it on MapQuest and printed out the paper instructions. <laughs> like we so used to be more to get somewhere. <laughs> yeah. That would really do it for me. Old Mohawk Road. It's only about a 10-minute drive to the hospital. Yeah. The call to police about the shooting, that call didn't come in until 1040, which okay. was almost an hour after that witness said that they saw her driving five miles an hour. It was just under five miles away. So her driving ridiculously slow the entire way there, it fits the timeline. It fits like if she's driving five miles an hour, it would take her an hour to get those five miles. That fits. No way did it take her an hour. To drive five miles. I mean, she was 10 minutes away. She was five miles away. And he saw her just before 10. And that call came in at 1040. So at best, it took her 30 minutes. Yeah. But if you have your three kids just got shot by a bushy haired stranger, I don't care what kind of trauma you're in. I mean, obviously, you're going to be dealing with trauma. And I care. Okay. But your trauma is not going to make it to where you're driving five miles an hour. Yeah. Here's the thing. I 100% think she did it. So. Get me on record (laughs) saying that. But I don't know that I, like, buy this. I just, right before we recorded this episode, I literally just was driving. I could not tell you a single car that was in front of me. You know? If the car was driving five miles an hour, then you were stuck behind them for a little while. I do agree. Eyewitnesses are the absolute worst. And your recall is so much worse than you even think it is. Like, I already know I don't have a great memory. Right. In fact, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast, but Malcolm Gladwell has a really interesting episode on memory of his podcast. And he talked about how, you know, there's that theory that like your memory is more solid around traumatic events like 9-11. Yeah, I know exactly what I was wearing, where I was, all that. I couldn't tell you what I wore last Tuesday. But what if I told you that maybe you don't? So this is what they found. They did this experiment because when 9-11 happened, Scientists were like, okay, this is it. Like, we have an opportunity to do this experiment and see if that's true. So they talked to people on that day mm-hmm. and had them write down, like, what happened or tell them what happened or whatever. I think they wrote it down. And then they got with them several times throughout the years. I don't remember the exact increments. And their story changed every single time, significantly. And they would say, okay, but you said that this is what you did. And they would like, I have no idea why I would write that. That's not what happened. That's not where I was or what I was doing. Ah, yeah. I know. And so I remember, though, like, I know exactly. I feel like I do, too. And I'm like, I wonder if I had written it down at the time, what I would have said. 
Is that really? Because I do. I remember my 10th grade history teacher coming into the room telling us that planes had crashed in the World Trade Center, me thinking it was this terrible accident, then going to my broadcast journalism class and watching the news for an hour and freaking out and Mm -hmm. like calling my mom from a payphone, telling her to come pick me up. Yeah. I remember Louise coming into the common area of the high school, calling my name out (laughs) to pull me from class. Ugh, I wish my mom had done that. I wanted her to. And she was like, I'm not picking you up. You're fine. Okay. I love that story because then mine was the exact opposite, all dramatic. I mean, geez, you know. That's like yep. our parents in the most perfect yep. description. Yep. 100%. I'm not coming to get you. I'm coming to get you. The world's ending. <laughs> you know? In our other episode, you brought up a good point of behavior is not an indicator of guilt. It's not evidence of guilt that's but it, what it was. can indi- an indicator yeah. that's what it was yeah i think with diane downs it's so much more than just her weird behavior none of it is proof of anything but just the fact that her story she lied about that other gun yeah she hid the gun but then there's stuff like the gunshot residue test and it wasn't even a gunshot residue test it was like something more accurate or for 1983 they say more accurate you know so mm-hmm. who really knows But that showed that she hadn't fired a gun. So, I mean, if that test is really that accurate, how did she get around not having any gunshot residue on her hands? That's something that I struggle with. And I'm not counting out bushy-haired stranger. I'm counting out bushy-haired stranger that acted on his own. I'm not counting out that she maybe paid someone, like a hitman. Like, she couldn't do it herself, but she could pay someone else to do it. And I think that could explain... Maybe some things. Yeah, maybe. She seems so impulsive that I would be surprised if she was organized enough to have a hitman. (laughs) Right. If she had like planned it that much to do this, I would be a little surprised. Is it outside the realm of possibility? No. I mean, the unicorn statue makes me think she planned it. Well, the unicorn statue makes me think she didn't because it had a different date on it. So did she plan? Did she like reschedule with the hitman? Is there an app for that? (laughs) yeah it's called fire icon what is it i think it's icon now i need to cancel my hitman appointment reschedule me for another day oh that's gonna be a 25 dollar cancellation fee and that would explain her going out to heather's house so random she needed some excuse to get the kids out of the house and go on this journey so that she could run into this hitman and and shoot them all And then she's like, shoot my arm so it looks... Right. I think that's what's so interesting about this case is that there is nothing that is like 100%. Like, I look at Diane's supporters and I'm like, all right, like, you know, what you're saying makes sense. It's not like totally ridiculous, you know? Mm -hmm. But I think she did it. (laughs) (laughs) Where is she now? Tell me. Give me there. So... Christy and Danny both start to say and do things that lead the hospital staff and police to the conclusion that Diane was behind the attacks. For example, Danny always related his injuries to his mother, but he was three. And so sometimes he would come out and say, like, I can't stand up. My mommy ran over me with the car, which obviously is not what happened. And even though it's developmentally appropriate for a three-year-old to make up things to add to traumatic events. It also made his testimony unreliable. Mm -hmm. They needed to question Christy. And luckily, Christy had started regaining some ability to speak. She'd gotten close to this woman named Paula, who was a law student working for the DA, for DA Hugie. 
And Paula started asking her some questions. Christy could only use a few words at a time, but throughout the questioning, she revealed that Diane had hit her in the face, but she said it had been her fault that she hit her. She also said that Diane would slap Cheryl in the face all the time. When Paula finally asked who had done the shooting, Christy said she didn't know. Then she said, I think, I think, mom. Was she only allowed to use a few words for a reason or is that just like all, how old is she? She was the middle. Eight, but she like can't speak because of her injuries. Oh, that's right. Okay. That's what you said. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a statement that wouldn't exactly work in a court of law. Mm -hmm. A few weeks after Diane's custody was taken away, Christy and Danny were placed in the care of foster parents. Christy was released from the hospital and sent to live with them, but Danny would stay in the hospital for months with their foster parents visiting really often. Why? His injuries were that bad? Mm-hmm. Spinal. Oh, that's right. I kind of forgot where they were shot. Yeah. Neither Diane nor any members of her family were told where Christy was, and Diane wasn't allowed visitation at all. Okay. Each week, Christy got a little more verbal. Once she started feeling safer, she started talking more about Cheryl. Never about the shooting, but she would talk about how Cheryl would get in trouble all the time for things like sucking her thumb or wetting the bed. Christy's foster parents were amazed when they discovered Christy was used to doing the laundry for the entire family. She told her foster mother that she had trouble folding her dad's pants because she was too short. (gasps) At eight? Well, she's eight now. Well, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I don't want to hear anyone complain up in here about some chores. (laughs) Christy's nightmares would wake her up often at first. And less and less as time went on and she began to feel more secure. But she still wouldn't share any of the details of what was weighing so heavily on her mind. Christy had been seeing a child psychologist, Dr. Peterson, who could tell that Christy was very smart but also cautious and guarded. He didn't want to rush her, even though the prosecution office wanted nothing more than for Christy to say that she'd seen her shooter and could tell them all who had done it, whoever it was. Towards the end of June, legislation needed to fund the police department and continue this investigation didn't pass, which means the detectives now only had until August 1st to finish the case. I'm sorry. What? I didn't know these were on, like, I have never heard of this before. Once August 1st happened, the department would only have the funding for one officer to manage all major crimes in a county the size of Delaware. Okay, no, 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 no. We're going to back it up. Okay. What crime is more important than this one? At the Like, I mean, how many of these do they have in this small town? It is one detective to manage all of the major crimes. Not just one detective on this crime, one detective for all of them. Oh man, they need to go fund me bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've never heard of it. I've heard of you know, I've heard of cold cases not getting right. the funding they need, or I've heard of like we can only put one detective on this case. Right. But I've never heard of, yeah, this one, you're gonna investigate all of the crimes in this county, a county the size of Delaware. That's that is absolutely insane to me. Yeah, and the problem was they weren't ready to arrest Diane in June. Yeah. So the DA told the detectives you need to hold off if they arrested her now, 
they'd have to go to trial within three months of the arrest because of, you know, the Constitution. And they either needed Christie ready to testify or they needed the gun. And they didn't have either of those things. They had nothing on her. They had weak ballistics evidence and a witness saying she was driving five miles an hour. Well, That's I don't like it. like where this is going. And they had this motive. And, and you can't put that pressure on Christy. Like, she's literally 10. No, she'll shut down again if you, right. if she, you put any pressure on her. That was not going to happen in a month. Yeah. This is not the best. I'm not a fan of where this is going. <laughs> in July, detectives talked to Nick again, who was grieving these kids. He's really upset about what's happened. And he fully believed that if he had never gotten together with Diane, that the kids would never have been shot. Like, he really believes that. Yeah, because we really believe here that Diane shot them so that she could be child-free. <laughs> right, with him. Nick is also afraid of Diane, that she'll turn up and hurt him or Nora. Yeah, that's fair. And he wanted her to admit what she'd done. And he figured that if she was going to tell the truth to anybody, it would probably be him. Mm. So he decided to call Diane and tape their conversations. And Oregon, like Texas, is a one-party state, which means that only one of the people involved in a conversation has to know they're being recorded. Even if he's not in Oregon? Right. Okay. The first time he called her was almost a year to the day after their affair started. Oh, it's, was that short? Yes. She's shooting yes. kids over, they haven't even had their one-year anniversary at Cheesecake Factory yet? Yeah. It was the last June they got together. And this is June. Like, when they spoke, her voice sounded girlish and cheerful. Ew, uh, that's so skeevy. I know. But she didn't admit to anything. Diane's father had figured out where Christy was staying with her foster parents. And he let police know that he was a very influential person with access to all kinds of information. And Fred Hughie, the DA, he heard about this. And he is terrified that her father's going to tell Diane and that she's going to try to go and hurt Christy. Diane still didn't have visitation with the kids, but they did give Steve Downs visitation. Hmm. Hughie did not trust Steve. His relationship with Diane had been way too back and forth and unpredictable. So they made sure that the visits were supervised. Eight weeks after the shooting, Diane had still not been arrested. But it seemed like the only person that truly believed that she was innocent was her brother, Paul. So she's just like chilling at home. Yeah, she is living with her parents. Around this time, she also made changes to her $50,000 life insurance policy. She made her kids the beneficiary. And the policy would pay out whether her death was natural, accidental, or a suicide. She also had a will drawn up. On August 4th, there was a second hearing regarding Diane's visitation rights, but she didn't even bother to show up because she didn't think that she had a chance. And she might have been right. She did lose the hearing, but I feel like... You still show up, though. You show up, and then maybe the next time you went, you know? Whatever. The judge said both Diane and Christy would need to get psychological evaluations before he'd even consider further visitation requests. But he also said that if the police didn't build some case against Diane, eventually he'd have to give her her kids back. So tick tock. Diane agreed to have her therapist give her an MMPI test, which is a personality inventory that screens for personality disorders. 
It was the same test that Diane had done before she became a surrogate that indicated she probably had antisocial personality disorder. Is this the one that also told her how smart she was? And she was like, what did she say? Oh, I'm in the seventh level of intelligence. No. Now everyone gives themselves personality tests with Instagram. Mm. Like, I know my Enneagram type. It's tourist season. You know, I'm like, uh, feeling myself. I can tell you all my characteristics. You've really just watered it down, you know? I don't think that looking at your sign is a personality test. (laughs) Are you kidding? A Taurus? My bullheaded ass, please. (laughs) This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. This time, the MMPI had similar results to what it did when she'd taken it before. It indicated she might have antisocial personality disorder. However, this therapist was new to practicing, and Diane was able to let her talk her into taking it again, which completely defeats the purpose of an instrument like that. And of course, the second MMPI score was closer to normal. Not long after this, Diane figures out that Nick is taping their conversations for the police. Oh, no. How'd she find out? I don't know, but she confronts him about it, and he admits it. And she tells him that he should know that she's not capable of something like this and that someone would have to be really insane to kill their own kids. And Nick says, yeah, I think so, too. I feel like that's the first time she's really, like, addressed it, though. Like, is that the first time she's come out and said, like, I didn't do this and you have to be really messed up to do this? I don't think. Well, I think she's been saying, I didn't do this. You know, I couldn't do it for the whole time. Mm. That's all she says. It wasn't me. It was a bushy-haired stranger. In the last week of August, Diane flew to Arizona with her lawyers to look for character witnesses that would testify on her behalf and make the jury sympathize with her in her custody case and possibly in her murder case. Diane made a list of all the people in her life in Arizona, friends, family, coworkers, and then she made notes to her attorney of different things that he could use as like emotional blackmail to get people to testify. Things like telling Danny's biological father that Danny would go to Steve if she was found guilty or making her old neighbor vulnerable by using her husband's suicide against her. 
She even suggested to her lawyer that he threaten someone else with the IRS. She's scheming. The lawyer declined to use that list. That's impressive, honestly. Yeah. And they couldn't find a single person in Arizona that would help Diane. Yikes. Yikes. I mean, doesn't that say something? Like, you can't (laughs) find a single person just to act as a character witness and say, I don't think this person could kill their children. Can't find anybody that'll say that for you. In early September, Christy was doing amazing with her foster family. She still could not speak really clearly, and her right arm was paralyzed, but she was laughing now, and she rarely had her nightmares. How old is she? She's eight. She was also opening up more with Dr. Peterson, and things got even better for her when, two days after she started third grade, Danny was released from the hospital. He'd been in there for four months, and he was coming to live with her. That is one outrageous medical bill. Yes. But he wasn't coming home totally healed. He was completely paralyzed from the chest down, (gasps) and he'd be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Oh, no. Meanwhile, Diane's feeling pretty lonely. Yeah, let me tell you where that's at on the blame buffet. (laughs) Let me let you know. (laughs) Or on my, like, empathy list. (laughs) Yeah, empathy was not restocked. (laughs) Fresh out. (laughs) She's used to having a man around, and for the first time ever, she has no one. (laughs) She met a man named Matt Jensen at the park who felt sorry for her and what she'd been through, and he didn't see how someone who looked so wholesome and sad could be a murderer. Still, he didn't expect to see her again after the park, but somehow he did. They ended up exchanging numbers, but again, he kind of thought that would be it. But she called, just wanting someone to talk to. Then talking led to dates. Dates led to sleeping together. They dated for about three weeks until he decided he needed to end things. She wasn't exactly someone he could introduce to his friends and family. I mean, she's pretty infamous at this point. You know, everybody knows who she is. Bringing Diana over for dinner. But Diane wouldn't take no for an answer. And she started staking out his place. Oh, let me tell you, that doesn't end well. (laughs) No. She'd leave notes under his windshield wipers and be at his door when he got home for lunch or at the end of the day. It got so bad that Matt ended up having to give notice to his landlord and he got another place 20 minutes away. Yikes. By the end of September, Christy was making such amazing progress that her psychologist, Dr. Peterson, he told the DA, Fred Hugie, that she might be able to testify in four to six months. But he couldn't say whether or not she'd say it was Diane that was the shooter. He also told Hughie that if he was to grant any supervision to Diane, it needed to be very closely supervised. And that was fine with Fred Hughie. He had absolutely no plans to allow Diane any visitation with the kids. Yeah, Hughie, yes. But what he did not know was that child services had been allowing Steve to take the kids out with him all day unsupervised. Oh, no. It never occurred to Hughie that that would be happening. Or that Steve had been talking and meeting with members of Diane's family. Diane's brother Paul was telling Steve how lonely she is and how much she misses the kids and how rough things have been for her. So Steve starts to feel sorry for her. So on October 1st, 1983, he called her and asked if she wanted to see the kids against the court order. Steve only intended to let her look at the kids and see that they were okay, not actually talk to them. 
Yeah. Like, what is this, a museum exhibit? <laughs> right. You Welcome to the wax museum? Right. And he felt very confident that he would have full control of the situation. But he's an idiot. And Diane was able to talk him into letting her take Christy on a car ride alone. They didn't come back for nine hours. And when she returned, all of the progress that Christy had made with her psychologist was completely gone. In one day, in nine mm-hmm. hours. Mm-hmm. Way to go, Steve. Yep. Way to go, Steve. No way would there be any hope for her testifying in six months or less. But no one knew why initially. They wouldn't know for months that Diane had taken her. They just know that she, like, retreated back, and there's no explanation at this time. Right. Yeah, they didn't know why. A week later, on October 7th, it was Christy's ninth birthday. Diane and her brother Paul took a cake and gifts to the child services office, trailed by reporters and snapping cameras. She looked fabulous, but they wouldn't allow her to see Christy. Well, yeah, her party is not at the child services office, is it? <laughs> no. And they didn't know it was already too late. They would do that again for Danny. I don't know why they keep doing that. They're like, do a swap? Yeah. Christy's psychologist had set up interviews with Diane for two different days. And Diane missed both of them, thinking that there was no need because she and Christy understood each other. Another week went by, and Diane wrote in her diary that she'd had a great idea. Ooh. The great idea turned out to be have another baby. Whoa. What? Yeah. With who? Well, she booty called Matt Jensen. Booty called. I literally haven't heard the term booty call. In <laughs> okay, well, it was like it was after 11 on a Thursday. So you tell me what you're going to call that. Yeah. <laughs> to ask if she could come over. Matt didn't yeah. want her to come over. It was two days before he was scheduled to move. And the whole reason he's moving is because of her. But he also was too chicken to tell her he didn't want her to come over. So he tells her she can only come if she brings weed and beer. Ew. Yeah. He didn't think she'd be able to get it since it was so late, but also ew. But not too long after, she walks in with a six pack telling him she just got on birth control. Okay. Also, like, don't answer the phone, homie, if you're moving for this person. Right. I'm like, Matt, there's no excuses. This is all your fault. You did this. (laughs) She better not get pregnant. Yeah. So when, when she said she was on birth control, what she meant was that she is ovulating. Oh. Well, those are the same. <laughs> those are the opposite. <laughs> Great. I, I definitely hate where this is headed now. Over the past several months, Diane was drinking more and more, and she continued to drink more and more with these complicated plans working themselves out in this alcohol-fueled brain. She decided she didn't want Steve to have custody of Christy and Danny and that she'd use the fact that he'd let her see the kids to ensure that he wouldn't get that custody. But she didn't want to just come right out and tell them. She wanted them to just find out in a less direct way. So she decided that it could be Nick that told Children's Services about the visit. So she wrote to him while she was drunk and she told him the whole story of how she'd taken Christy and all of that. But she knew Nick wasn't reading or even opening any of her letters. He was just sending them back to her. So she decided to use a little bit of reverse psychology, a little bit of manipulation to make sure he read this one. So over the next several days, she called the post office where he worked and she left message after dramatic message telling him he must not open the letter 
He must send it straight back. And if he opened it and read it, this life wouldn't be worth anything. So and her, obviously. So obviously he, he opened immediately <laughs> opened the message as soon as it was delivered. But also that whole thing scared Nick off enough that he filed charges against her and requested a restraining order. Yeah, great idea. But he also told on her like she wanted. <laughs> and when Fred Hughie found out about the visit, he felt both horrified and like he'd managed to put together the missing piece of the puzzle. No wonder Christy had regressed so badly. He felt like he failed at protecting Christy, and he didn't even have an investigator available to look into the claims, because at this point, it's October. You October, know I mean? past August, yeah. which I still don't understand. I know. I know. Diane's plans continue to work when, in November, she learns she's pregnant. Oh, shoot. Later, she would tell a television reporter that she got pregnant because she missed Christy. She said, I got pregnant because I miss Christy, and I miss Danny, and I miss Cheryl so much, and I'm never going to see Cheryl on Earth again. I just, you can't replace children, but you can replace the effects that they give you, and they give me love, they give me satisfaction, they give me stability, they give me a reason to live and a reason to be happy, and that's gone. They took it from me. But children are so easy to conceive. Oh my God. Oh my God. She told that to a television reporter on television on television i'm pretty sure let me see let me check my notes later she would a television reporter i got a lot of problems with all of that but i have a question Mm. could she now have this fourth child and even though she doesn't have custody of the other ones that she just gets to keep this one because she just popped it out after all the other stuff I think in general, that would be a situation by situation. Like, there's nothing automatically where she would have that child taken away, I don't think. Mm-hmm. It would be by situation. Well, this situation is yeah, not a good Yeah, there's no one. way she's keeping that baby. When Diane told Matt, he knew she'd used him for this, and he was angry. He told her he didn't want anything to do with her, but Diane knew he'd forgive her eventually. Oh, for sure. In December, a judge called a hearing with Steve and Diane for violating the custody order, and they're both held in contempt of court. The way Diane was acting and the way she dressed that day reminded people of Princess Diana, and her skeptics started calling her Princess Di, like D-I-E. Ew. (laughs) Yeah. Ooh, I want to see that courtroom appearance. (laughs) Yeah. Diane's attorney announced at the hearing that Diane's like two to three months pregnant, and the judge delivers... A one-year suspended sentence for violating the court order, which is basically nothing. I mean, she got no punishment. On January 9th, 1984, Fred Hughie's investigator, Ray Broderick, went over to Christy and Danny's foster home to talk to Christy. He and Hughie had had this idea to get these life-size, anatomically correct dolls that are used in counseling victims of abuse. Mm-hmm. And he got one of each of the three kids. And he let Danny and Christy have them for a while to like get used to these dolls. And then Broderick came over and he played with them for a while. And then just very casually, he asked where the dolls would have been sitting when they rode in their red car. And this time, Christy was ready to tell him. So they set two couches up like the front and back seat of a car. And Christy took the dolls and she set them up where each of them had been sitting that night in the car. Broderick asked Christy if she wanted to tell him what happened. Ooh, I got goosebumps. I know. And she tried to explain, but he couldn't understand her. 
So he suggested that she act it out and play the part of the mom. Everyone in the room watched silently as Christy walked to the front door of the car and hunched over like there was a roof on the car. And she pointed her finger like a gun at the dolls representing Cheryl, herself, and then Danny. And then Christy started sobbing. Mm. Now, people on Diane's side have things to say about this confession. They say that Diane and her lawyers had wanted Christy accompanied and taped during any sessions questioning her and that their very reasonable request was denied. They said the state isolated Christy from her mother and her whole family, making it much easier to brainwash her. They called it judicial kidnapping to obtain a coerced confession from Christy, who up to that point had repeatedly said she didn't know who had shot her. So... That's what they say about everything Christy has to say about the shooting from here on out. Hmm. They say that according to Christy's hospital records, every six hours, she was given a drug noted for causing confusion, and then she would be interviewed within half an hour of having that drug increased. But this interview didn't happen at the hospital, so I don't think she just had that drug. So, like, she never said at the hospital that it was her mom. It was not until after she was at the why are they giving a drug to cause confusion? Was it a drug for like pain that also like a side the effect? Side effect. Yes, it was. Yes, they weren't intentionally trying to make her confused. They also say that every time she said that she didn't know who shot her, that the investigators told her to think again and they made suggestions. And they also said the interrogations were not taped and barely documented. So how do you know that they were making suggestions? Anyways. And they point out the unreliability of children's testimony that has been documented by psychologists. And they also point out that it's not unheard of for district attorneys to bully children into falsely testifying against their parents. There's even a documentary by Sean Penn called Witch Hunt about a Kern County DA who did just that, who I might want to cover. I just wanted to put that out there. I love when you do your due diligence against your own will. We want the people to have all the facts. You think that you could brainwash a kid in four months, brainwash them to say their mother had shot them? I don't, I just. As two teachers here, I try to get my kids to walk in a straight line (laughs) that are around this age. And that takes eight months and they still suck at it. You know, I mean, she had gone through a lot of trauma and then she had people that were being really nice to her. And I definitely think no matter what, if she did it or not, she was not nice to that child. I think Christy was pulling a lot of weight in that house. Yeah, she's doing the laundry. laundry. She's making peanut butter sandwiches for her little siblings to make sure they all got to eat. She's folding pants. That's the one she's laundry item I don't do here. pants. Yeah, I don't even fold. When I do all the laundry, I don't fold the pants. They're complicated. This child gets into a home with people that are loving and supportive. So is it possible that she would say what she thinks they want to hear? Is it possible that even if they didn't mean to, that they kind of made it seem like they wanted her to say that it was Diane? I mean, yeah, all of that is possible. So, you know, I mean, we can take Christy's statements with a grain of salt. She was a little kid. Yeah, that doesn't do enough for me, but it does when you take into account the unicorn statue, which I'm not going to let go, the gun that was hidden, all of the neighbor's statements, her not being able to come up with a character witness. And the fact that she talked about building a house, if you're willing to build a house to put your kids in their own section where you don't have to worry about them, 
it doesn't feel super far off to me that you wish that they weren't there. And she obviously has an obsession with being pregnant mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not necessarily having the children. All mm-hmm. of that with Christy's testimony is enough for me mm-hmm. to like feel that it could be Diane. And I don't trust that the gunpowder residue test in the 80s was like super effective, but that's the one piece that I struggled yes, with. Yes, it wasn't the gunshot residue test because I know that there are issues with that test. But this was something different that tested for, like, yeah, the metals on your hand. So Hughie knew he needed to keep a better eye on Diane. It was definitely in Diane's best interest if Christy is gone. And Hughie was worried that she would try to take her and finish what she'd started. So he had detectives attach a device called a bird dog to Diane's car. And they kept it there for a week and a half. And it allowed them to closely monitor all of her activities outside of home. And then finally, on February 28th, 1984, (gasps) Elizabeth Diane Downs was arrested and charged with five counts. Oh, yeah. Murder, two counts of attempted murder, and two counts of assault in the first degree. In Oregon, murder is an unclassified felony, so there aren't degrees of murder. It's just murder. Murder. And the death penalty wouldn't come to Oregon for another year, so she narrowly missed that as a possible punishment as well. Her bail was set at 15000 for each of the five charges, and her trial date was set for May 8th. Diane expected fully that she'd be found not guilty just in time for her due date of July 7th. Oh, I forgot she was pregnant. Yeah. She pleaded not guilty to all charges, and they all geared up for trial. Diane's lawyers immediately filed a motion to suppress evidence collected from her red Nissan, claiming she did not understand the forms she signed that gave the police permission to perform a search. I'm sorry, that is the crime scene. That is the evidence. Like, if you suppress that, what else are we looking at here? That's what we're trying to find out, what happened in the car. And that motion was denied. And I don't think that they would have needed her permission to search the car when there were three children in the car that they all pulled out that had all been shot and one was dead. It would be like finding a body in a house. You don't need the homeowner's permission to search the house if they know there's a body in there. And they already know the body was in there. I also think that if they're claiming she didn't understand the forms, does that mean that she would not have given police permission to search her red Nissan where her children almost died and one of them did die? Like, does that mean she wasn't planning on giving them permission to search the car? Does that mean that she did it? (laughs) Like, are you saying that you did it? Diane's father tried to get her this really well-known attorney, but he was going to be in Rome during the time scheduled for the trial, and they filed a motion to delay the trial, which was strategic in another way. It would have meant that she would have been super, super pregnant and would have probably gotten even more sympathy from the jury. But the motion was denied, and so Diane stuck with her original attorney. Great. And then the trial began. The prosecution's case was that Diane had means, motive, and opportunity. The motive was that she wanted to marry Nick, and the only obstacle she saw to him getting a divorce was her children. So she used the 22 Ruger that she'd brought from Arizona, and she used the opportunity when her kids were drowsy and they were away from home. Diane's attorney admitted to the affair, but he said that her obsession with Nick had never gotten in the way of her kids or her job. He explained all her weird behavior was because of the molestation from her father when she was a kid and that she'd learned to hide her real emotions 
And she reacts to things in ways that others would deem inappropriate, like laughing as a reaction to pain, which, okay, that's fine. I get that. And that could all totally be true. Doesn't mean that you weren't obsessed with Nick. What was her job? Did we talk about her job? I don't think I really she, she had a steady job. She worked at the, the post office delivering mail. She did oh, that's mail. right. Yeah. We just talked about that. The prosecution had built replicas of the car, and they used the life-size dolls of the children to show the jury a recreation of the crime. But they all knew that this entire trial all rested on the shoulders of nine-year-old Christy Ann Downs. Christy got on the stand, and her testimony was devastating for the defense. Oh, I'm sweating. I don't know how this ends. And you could tell me <laughs> that Diana is in prison, or you could tell me that she's like out being a psychologist or, you know, working at UPS. Like, I'm sweating. Like, I, my heart is like the palpitations. Like, you, <laughs> my, the mic's going to pick it up. I'm freaking out. Christy testified that her mother stopped the car off a rural road, got out of the car, and went back to the trunk. She said her mother opened the trunk, shut it, and returned to the car with something in her hand. And now, just to clarify, all of this is kind of happening like she's saying this through answering questions. She still has mm -hmm. a little bit of trouble speaking, but she can speak. Seconds later, Christy heard the first shot. <laughs> Hughie was the defense attorney. He's the one questioning her at this point. And he asked her how she knew it had been her mother that had fatally shot Cheryl. And Christy said, I watched her. My mom mm -hmm. did it. And she started sobbing as she told the jury that her mother leaned over the back seat of the car and shot her brother Danny and her. She also testified that Duran Duran's Hungry Like the Wolf had been playing on the cassette tape during the shooting. She said she remembered this very clearly. And this was interesting because the keys had to be in the ignition for the tape deck to play. And Diane's story was that she had her car keys in her hand when she confronted the bushy-haired stranger, which also never made sense. Why would you completely turn off your car to then get out of your car and go talk to some guy in the middle of the road. Why wouldn't you just, and you got three kids in the car. Why wouldn't you be leaving the car running? Yeah, I'd be leaving that on. I, well, I wouldn't stop and get out and talk to a stranger. I mean, I got my kids in the car. Right. But if I was going to do that, I then also wouldn't take the keys out of the car. But anyways, yeah. she said that she'd fake thrown them in the bushes to get him to go after the keys and give them a chance to get away. But the defense tried to get Christy to show that she was confused by all the trauma or that she'd been brainwashed by the social workers and the detectives. Diane's side to this day points out problems with Christie's testimony. Things like the trial was a year after the attack, a year where Christie had been awarded the state and away from her mother, giving them plenty of opportunity to plant seeds in her head that it had been her mother, and then coach her on how to respond to all these questions, kind of forming the story more firmly in her mind. Well, thank goodness she was away from her mom I, for a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They also say that later when Christy was in high school, she told a friend that she had no idea who shot her. And Christy today, I'm pretty sure, is keeping as far away from all of this as she possibly can. She's not speaking on it. I just have a feeling that if she was in high school and she told a friend, no, I really don't know who shot me, she would have said by now. Christy's psychologist testified that Christy wrote a list of people that were safe and people that were not safe in her life. And the safe people included herself, her siblings, her foster parents, D.A. Hughie, her psychologist, her caseworkers, and a detective. And her not safe list included her mom. 
and maybe her dad, which, I mean, she'd been having to fold his pants her whole life. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent. He'd be on my not safe list, too. (laughs) The jury then watched a videotape of the reenactment Diane did to show police her version of the story. This happened four days after Cheryl's murder. And the jurors' faces all just turned gray as they watched Diane use the car's mirror to fix her hair and makeup and then smiled and laughed as she just hammed it all up for the camera while Hungry Like the Wolf played over the action. In court, when the song played, Diane smiled and tapped her foot to the beat and sang along. Oh. My. God. That's all I need. <laughs> That's it. Mm-hmm. You could have told me that in the first three minutes of part one. That would have sealed the deal. <laughs> Yeah. In songs, when something traumatic happens with a song, Mm -hmm. like it is ingrained. My first car accident, I can remember the rear view mirror came down and hit the knob of the radio and the volume shot up. And I can still hear JoJo. Remember JoJo? Like high school. Leave, get out right right now. now. That's what I was saying to my kids on the last day of school. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Hearing something blaring like that or like just hearing, I mean, that is ingrained in your brain. No, that's a really like what good happened point. during that time. And how would she have come up with Hungry Like the Wolf? Like how would she have that's come up with that so particular weird. detail of that story? Yeah. Especially when you're young. Right. And I could see like, I could see it happening where they kind of plant these seeds and then they work with her to form her story. I mean, we see it with false confessions all the time. I mean. That's exactly how Mm -hmm. they could have done it. They give her the information and kind of show Mm -hmm. her how to to tell her story and not even knowing they're doing it even. But the hungry like the wolf detail, they're not planting that seed in there. You know, I mean, they're not telling her hungry like the wolf. So I don't know. I mean, I guess it's possible it was on the radio. And anyways, it's, it's obviously possible that she is not telling the truth, even on act like she might think she is. And it's obviously possible, but I don't think No, so. it's not. I just don't think so. Yeah. I can't believe that Diane is like hamming it up like she's w- about to walk the red carpet. Right, right. She's checking her hair, checking her makeup. Yeah, no. Diane testified for four and a half days, and she talked about everything, her entire life, how happy she and the kids were. She explained her reaction to the song in court, saying that it was Cheryl's favorite song, and it just makes her so happy. No, that, no. Mm-hmm. I hate that song. And way. I'll tell Awful. you, I, I love that song, but I'll tell you, there have been two songs that reminded me of like friends that had died. And it was years, years before I could listen to either of those songs again, even though I loved them. Like I had loved yeah. those songs. It was years before I could listen to them without just being in pain. You know, yeah, and it not just remind. Like now, I can be happy at the memory. You know, like it, it gives me a good mm-hmm. memory. But a year after, no way. And for your daughter, no way. It makes yeah. her happy. Absolutely not. It'd be different if it was like her favorite song that she would like sing. But it's a song she was shot and killed to. I don't think it does make a difference. I think if it's a song that reminds you of Cheryl, you're not happy about it a year after her death. Correct. But especially if it's the song that was playing when she was shot. Right. Yeah. She said Christy was remembering wrong, that the song was not playing during the shooting. She explained telling the deputy that she regretted buying the unicorn. She said she bought the unicorn as a symbol of their new life and freedom in Oregon. And that showed that she'd put her children first instead of God. 
So God decided to slap her in the face because she'd bought the unicorn and it was an idol. Uh, nope. Makes perfect sense, Mogab. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, that's not how that works. It was God slapping her in the face. Listen, the rude awakening that's about to come then, (laughs) you know. (laughs) The trial lasted 31 days. And at the end of it, on June 17th, the jury read their verdict. Oh! What do you think they found her? I mean, if they didn't find her guilty, don't be ever sending me a Zoom link again, okay? Because your girl's done. (laughs) She was found guilty. Yes! On all five counts. Count them. One, two, three, four, five. That's all five. Diane went completely white in the courtroom and just trembled. But she wouldn't break in front of everyone, so she smiled. She smiled until she was put in the wagon to take her to jail. She just called it a wagon. The jail wagon. Yeah, that's what it's called. I'm just picturing like a little red wire. <laughs> <laughs> what a creep. Uh-huh. Yep. Ten days later, on June 27th, she gave birth to her baby, Amy Elizabeth Downs who was later renamed Rebecca, child services immediately took that baby and put her up for adoption. And Matt Jensen signed away his parental rights. He's a peach of a person, too. Yeah. I'm glad he did that, honestly, so Rebecca could have a great life. Does Rebecca know that she is Amy Downs? Yes, she does. August 28th, 1984, was Diane's sentencing hearing, and the judge sentenced her to life plus 50 years with a 25-year minimum. Uh, I don't understand how any of that math works, but it sounds like a long-ass time. (laughs) So you've got your life, which is 15 years. Oh, 15, that's right. Plus 50, so basically a 65-year sentence. But she had to serve 25 years before she could apply for parole. She's never gotten parole. Yeah, great. Christy and Danny continued to be cared for by their foster family until they were adopted. Guess who adopted them? (gasps) Hughie? Yes. Shut up. Yes. Oh! (laughs) Hughie and his wife adopted them. So they are Christy and Danny Hughie now. Oh, my God. They have no relationship with Steve Downs, their biological father. Yeah, great. Bye. Yeah. A couple of years into her sentence, Diane escaped from the Oregon Women's Correctional Facility by scaling an (laughs) 18-foot razor wire fence. (gasps) You just breezed right past that. (laughs) And she managed to stay escaped for 10 days until she was recaptured and moved to a facility in New Jersey because Hughie realized how close that prison was to his house where he had the kids. So they moved her to New Jersey, to the other side of the country, so she'd be far away from the kids and they wouldn't ever have to worry about her coming after them. And then she got an extra five years added to her sentence, but they let her serve it concurrently. So I don't know why they do that. Yeah, I don't. That's stupid. I'm sorry. How did she get out? She scaled an 18-foot razor wire fence. She just climbed over the fence. Dear Oregon, get some upgrades. (laughs) I, like, forget that people escaping from prison is a thing. But if you got nothing else to do, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you got to go the long game, like Shawshank that, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you know? Yes, I do. <sighs> okay, look, I'm not a total, like, alien from some other planet. Look, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm very happy and impressed that you know Shawshank. That's excellent. Yeah, I do. 
Diane was eligible for parole in 2008, and she applied every two years after that, but all of her applications were denied because she, to this day, has never admitted culpability or shown any remorse. Yeah. Her family and supporters are still trying to get her a new trial to this day, and she is- For what? Still in prison 37 years later. I mean, honestly, they've got some good points. There's not a lot of evidence that she did this, like, not a lot of actual evidence to prove- Beyond right. a reasonable doubt. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm beyond a reasonable doubt. Like, she did it. I really do. But, you know, I can kind of see their evidence is weak. Yeah. Her erratic behavior and, like, bad decisions I know can't be used as evidence in this murder. But it does, like... Show that she's capable of doing something yeah. like that. Yeah, I agree. Because I didn't think about it until you started listing all the things of, like... Mm-hmm. You know, driving you the in the first episode, you're like, you know, this manic behavior of I, mm-hmm. here's this ad and like, mm-hmm. I, you know, as if it's so time sensitive, this horse, like I need to drive it at 830 at night. Like, right. All of that decision making, mm-hmm. which I have seen played out in real life to some mm-hmm. extent, maybe not that extreme, but I've. No, I know because I when I read that story, I just kept thinking about it and I'm like, what a weird thing to do. Like, what a mm-hmm. a ridiculous thing to do to decide that. Now is the time that I must take this horse ad to my friend Heather. Yeah, like, are you going to see her at work? Yes, right? Okay. Today, Christy and Danny are both adults. They've both graduated from college. Christy's married, and she has a big, loving family, including a daughter that she named Cheryl. Danny is still partially paralyzed from the bullet in his back, but he's reportedly Mm. living a happy and normal life. Both of them chose to live a private life. So there's not a whole awesome. lot known about them, which is fabulous for them. I love that. Yeah. Rebecca, the baby Diane had in jail, I think she's struggling with it a little bit more. I think she's doing okay, but I think she's really struggling to come to terms with this. She exchanged letters with Diane for a while, but she ended up cutting off contact because the letters were so weird. And she started accusing Rebecca of conspiring against her. And so Rebecca was just like, no, girl. Yeah. Rebecca's tried to reach out to Christy and Danny, but they aren't interested in having any contact with her. So Mm. they don't have a relationship there. Yeah. Which is sad. But understandable. You know, I mean. Yeah. And that is the story of Diane Downs and the murder of little Cheryl Downs and the attempted murder of Danny and Christy Hughie. Rebecca's last name is Downs now also? No, Rebecca's not Downs. She was adopted. I don't know I don't know oh. her last name and I think she might go by Becky. I don't know her adopted last name. She would be our age though, right? Yeah, a couple of years older. She was born in 1984. Yeah. yeah. Which still feels like just, you know, 20 years ago, so. <laughs> it was. The 80s were 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's truly how I feel. I'm, I've seen yeah. all those things that are like Yeah. You know, the 90s were 10 years ago. Like, I'm stuck Mm -hmm. in the 2000s. I'm like, that really is me. Oh, my gosh. This one, I don't know if I want to watch. Was there a documentary you watched? No, I read a damn book. Ugh. Surprised you didn't brag about that. I did brag Um, about it. In the first one, it was written by Anne Rule. But I had Sabrina to help me. She made a timeline for me. But I still had to read that damn book. Oh, I want to give a major shout out to, I was just, you know, on Facebook, as you do, scrolling through my true crime groups. And I was in a group for a podcast. Somebody had asked for like recommendations on other podcasts, Patreons. And somebody 
one of our peeps and creeps gave us a shout out and said that we're launching on August 1st. And I'm, I didn't ask you if I could throw your name out there, so I'm not going to, but you know who you are. That, that made me so happy. Thank That's you so, so much. That's so exciting. I know. It's just always fun to see a little shout out in the wild too, you know? That's exciting. Hey, peeps and creeps. Thank you so much for listening. We would love for you to follow us on social media at Creepers Pod. Join the Facebook discussion group. And of course, join our Patreon if you're not listening to this episode on there right now. And you can email us any feedback or case suggestions at creeperspod at gmail.com. Also, a huge thanks to everyone who has left us a review on Apple Podcast or Audible or Podchaser. They help us out in such a big way. So if you liked this episode and you have an iPhone, we would love it if you would take a minute and give us a five-star rating and a review and be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you'll have our next episode as soon as it drops when I'll tell Mogab another wild story. Bye, peeps and creeps. <laughs>